In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me on the phone is Steve Howard. Hi, Steve. Good morning, Pat. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. Sorry you're not in the studio. It's been a while. It has been. It's hard to leave the state house. You know what happens when you leave the state house. Oh, I know. They do something, for sure. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, Steve, is, as I said before, is the executive director of the Vermont State Employee Association, which is celebrating, Steve, this is amazing, 80 years this That's month. Right. That is awesome. Yes. Yes, 80 years strong. We're getting stronger by the minute. Well, you are, and you keep uh, broadening your coverage, too, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, so you've got quite the the group of folks that you represent, and um, I was listening, to, listing all the contracts that you're responsible for. Give me a headache. Good for you. <laughs> so talk about you. your celebration, which is coming up soon. So, yeah, we're having a, a, an event at the State House uh, next Thursday to both uh, celebrate our 80 years of advocacy on behalf of state employees and on behalf of our members, but also to continue to advocate for our legislative priorities, um, which are critical uh, not only to our members, but also in many cases to the well-being of the state and to uh, Vermonters in general. That's great. Well, I must say I used to get into trouble from the administration because I'd spend a lot – when I was commissioner of personnel – they called it personnel back then. Now it's human resources. But I would spend most of my time down at the VSEA because um, they had Where a lot of – Exactly. <laughs> I had a lot of fun down there with Annie Noonan and Steve Jansen and way back when – what was Tom's last name? I completely forgot. Tom Whitney. That was the gang. And how long have you been there? I have been at VSEA for almost 12 years now. Oh, my gosh. And That's, now time is flying. For sure, I, I would not have guessed that at all. And we'd be friends all that whole time, Steve Howard. We sure, and yes. even before that. And before that, for sure. So tell us about the VSEA. I've been kind of hinting about how broad your your coverage is, but uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the VSEA? And uh, there's lots to celebrate. Oh, sure. So we're, um, we are a member-run union with um, just over 6,000 members. Uh, we represent all of the executive, all of the classified, most of the classified employees in the executive branch, in the judiciary. Uh, this on, we represent the clerical and technical staff on the state college campuses, um, all of the staff in the state's attorney's offices. Um, in addition, we just added the uh, state transport deputies, the deputy sheriffs who do state wow. transports. Um, and so we're, we represent all the supervisors in the, um, in the state government, in the housing authority. Um, so we have a pretty broad range of, uh, of membership. Uh, so we've, we've been really busy just negotiating really good contracts for our members and trying to keep up with the cost of living here in Vermont. Right. And also just fighting the battle in, in the legislature to um, 
adequately resource state government and to make sure that our members are protected here. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And thank you for what you do. I've always been supportive of the VSEA. And uh, I'm in management. Sometimes I get in trouble for saying that. But I would not <laughs> want to be – what is there now? How many employees? 8,000 or is that going back too many years? Uh, it's just a little over that, I think, is it? now. And, well, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, in state government, that's, that's, you know, folks who are in the bargaining unit and folks who are called exempt employees um, who are mostly political appointees. Right. That was me. Um, but I yeah. would not want to be the commissioner of personnel having 8,000 employees deal with me directly. Um, and I think the VSEA does a great job in presenting their issues. And um, I think, no, I do see that's really, thank goodness you're there because I can't imagine um, if there wasn't one there, that would, that would be very challenging for sure to, to make them feel that they're being heard. And that's yeah. probably the key to everything, to being heard. And what I found, the, key is, huh? the key really is that our members are extremely engaged and yep. they're involved and they really pay close attention and they, and they speak up. So yeah. that's really, really important and they have a lot to offer as you know yep. our members are the experts at the work they do yep um, and they often know what's really happening in state government well i always get uh, recognized for the work we did to streamline uh, dmv back in the day we had a, a long wait and we got it down to 20 minutes and every except for two Every single idea that we put in place came from employees. So whenever somebody says, oh, I remember what you did, I said, uh-uh, not me. It was the employees. I listened, which was the key, but um, yeah. they did it. They knew what, what needed to be changed. And um, once you gave them an avenue, boy, watch out. So listen, Steve, I found something. I'm embarrassed to say this. On your website, you have both a board of directors and a council. I'll keep you busy. How, what, are the, what do they do? So it's, you know, if you think of like the Congress, it's like the House and the Senate. Um, the Board of Trustees is elected from uh, our members in, in various chapters and bargaining units and across all of our membership. Um, and they are like the Senate, basically. They, they oversee the operations, the daily operation of the union. Um, and then we have a broader group, which is like the House of Representatives, um, which is the, called the Council. And they represent their chapters and their departments. It's about 150 people uh, who meet quarterly. Board of Trustees meets monthly. Huh. Um, and they are really sort of a check on the Board of Trustees. They have certain powers to overrule the board if they don't agree. They can make recommendations to the board. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a very democratic organization. That's great. Good for you. With small D. <laughs> well, I think that's great. I think that's actually – I'm trying to remember – Bruce was elected to represent the VSEA, my husband, when he was a state trooper. Um, and that's where I met him. I think he was involved with the, ben- with the benefits. Um, yep. and that's, that's how we met. So thanks. Oh, that was good. Wow, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a Vermont thing. Anyway, when I pulled up your website, right smack in the front page, you have a headline says, a crisis in DCF family services. Could you please explain that to folks? Yes. Uh, this is a crisis that has been lingering for far too long. It's extremely concerning and dangerous, um, uh, and it really is uh, because of the lack of beds um, that exist for youth in Vermont um, that are in DCF custody. And that includes uh, youth who are justice-involved, who would have gone to the Woodside uh, rehabilitation center that was closed by the Scott administration. 
they would have gone. Uh, there's also uh, kids who are, um, you know, who are, are suffering from mental health challenges, and there's also a group of children who are, you know, really work with Dale and have some behavioral health um, cognitive challenges, and they end up in DCF custody. And we've suffered from um, the lack of beds, uh, both because of the closure of Woodside and because of staffing challenges and the lack of beds um, across the state um, in the community-based uh, organizations. And, you know, really the reason it's such a crisis is because we are keeping these kids who are often traumatized mm-hmm. when they come into DCF custody in unbelievably unacceptable um, places. For instance, the, the basement of the Newport Police Station, oh. uh, spending, spending the night on an air mattress, staying in hotel rooms, in apartments, um, in, in hospital uh, lobbies, um, just anywhere the, the caseworker can find uh, to bring this kid in, you know, who's in custody um, into some kind of an, a safe environment. So it's dangerous because our members are not... Uh, in DCF, they're you know they're caseworkers. They're not residential counselors. They're not um, they're, they're not trained the same way that the residential counselors at Woodside were trained. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't they have some training that's applicable to the to, uh, to the, what they're being asked to do. Um, but they they aren't they are, that's not really what they were hired to do, um, and it's not acceptable. So they're in dangerous position in a dangerous position. We've had. You know, many assaults on our members. We're very concerned about their safety. But you know, what our members say to us is, we're traumatizing these kids all over again. We are, we are not providing the kind of therapeutic um, right. care that they need. So we're desperately trying to get the governor and the politicians to, to uh, do something about this, to open up beds and to staff facilities with appropriate staff that um, have been trained to run a residential program. Uh, and, you know, honestly, uh, the response has been pretty slow. Yeah. Well, these level. kids could be traumatized all over again, right? They sure have been. And, you know, it's really, that's really the, that is a serious, serious yep. problem. Um, you know, they're in the custody of the Department for Children and Families. And that means that the department is acting as their parent. Right. Um, so it really needs, the governor needs to step up and really uh, use all of the resources of state government to solve this problem. The legislature needs to pressure the administration. The press needs to cover this story more aggressively. Yeah, for sure. You know, we're burning out our family service workers and we're losing them at an alarming rate um, because they're being asked to do um, really unacceptable things and not what they signed up for. Um, Yeah, I remember years ago, and I I remember who it was that was testifying, but somebody that was working at Dale um, with with these client... And they were getting hurt from because yeah. there was some not violence, but just outbreaks of of anger. And uh, I remember hearing that testament. I thought, "Whoa, there's a job." Um, and yeah, it's, I know and, it's really, it's challenging. You know, in, in DCF, we've already had one worker who was tragically murdered in a parking lot. Oh yeah, right. In Barry, yeah. We've had a, a, a family service worker who was sexually assaulted while while watching them. A youth in uh, a hotel room oh uh, in, in South Burlington. You know, somebody who was there because there were no beds. Uh, so, you know, when when I think we what we go back to, and you will remember this from the, the time after Irene, when our members described the need for more mental health beds. Right. Um, 
and the politicians decided not to do it. We had we had patients lined up for months in emergency rooms as a result. We, we basically said the same thing when the administration tried to close successfully close Woodstock. You're going to have kids on air mattresses in police stations. Um, and, you know, the air mattress is actually an improvement because there was a time when kids were, were being handcuffed to chairs all night in police stations, and really our members objected to that. Um, this is just not a way – you know, Vermonters really should be outraged that the administration has allowed this to go on as long as they have, and that the legislature, it's a bipartisan problem, haven't really held the administration's feet to the fire the way our members would, would hope they would. I think really we just need uh, Vermonters to speak to their legislators, to talk to the governor when they see him, to make sure this is an issue that, that it's at, at, that's front and center. You know, it's it's hard sometimes to admit when you've made a mistake. Uh, I think the governor tried to go at least in that direction in his budget address, saying this might have been a mistake to, you know, close Woodside and right. not really fully through think through a, an alternative to that. Um, but it really has to be pushed to the front of the line in order to get the, the political establishment to, to really do something. So we, we'd ask Vermonters to help with that. I was very surprised when they closed Woodstock. Uh, Woodstock. <laughs> Don't we wish? That'd be fun. Woodside. Um, it was was there something wrong with the building? What What was the issue? Was it just the cost of maintaining it? Um, I think there was a couple of issues. One was that the federal government would no longer provide Medicaid funding ah. uh, for the facility because they considered it a correctional facility. Um, so our members uh, really worked hard to put a proposal forward to the legislature and to the governor to reform the facility, to change the policies, to change the management, to really soften the building, to you know really build a, a, a model that would be Medicaid eligible. Um, but not to close it down, right. because what we knew would happen is we'd lose the expertise of the residential counselors, and that we would have a hard time finding another community that would be willing to host a facility. And that's exactly what happened. It's a repeat of what happened when they closed the state. You know, they privatized a lot of the work from the state hospital. Yep. Uh, so, you know, eventually we hope at some point politicians are going to do what we talked about earlier and start to listen to the state employees when they come to the table and say. This is what we need in order to, in order to help the, the people you want to help who live in your community. Right. And these are these are our children. Right. Exactly. That's what got my attention here. You mentioned Dale, uh, Steve. I didn't think Dale was uh, open anymore, or is it? Is it still um, uh, operating? Using the, the well, the facility in Waterbury that was called Dale. Oh. Uh, is, I, I was talking to. That's not opening. That's not open. I was talking to the Department of Aging and Independence. Oh, I'm so oh, right. Of course, I'm sorry because I thought we closed that down as well. Speaking of mental health, because um, yeah. that was uh, that was quite the quite the event when that closed down as well. Um, anyway, um, I just took back up my notes here, and I know that you must be very busy um, at the legislature these days because that's where you are right now and thank you for trying to find a quieter spot. You are um, proposing and, and uh, supporting the increase to Vermont's wealthiest 1% um, and I just did a I just read um, I think it was House Ways and Means where they had a gentleman on um, that was talking about will the wealthy move and Turns out not necessarily. So you should check out that testimony. It was quite interesting. But anyway, um, that's obviously a, a, an approach that the legislature is looking at. What do you, what are you thinking? 
Well, I think we have for too long under-resourced our state government. And, you know, we've had short staffings. We've had, we have, um, you know, various classifications in state government where, where the pay just isn't enough to attract uh, folks. Nursing is a good example of that. And so we have to come to terms with that. And we have to really just have an honest adult conversation with Vermonters that it sounds good politically to say no new taxes, no new fees. But, it is, but there is a consequence for that. You know, one consequence that really is disturbing to me, in the governor's budget address, he talked about crime and the rise in crime and how some of the mistakes he made early on in his, in his tenure as governor may have resulted in the increased criminal behavior. But if you look at his budget, his budget actually defunds the Department of State's attorneys and sheriffs and asks for what is asked for a... a, a um, for the department to come up with vacancy savings oh. for, for 10 vacant positions. There aren't 10 vacant positions in the department. They have massive caseloads. The department requested close to 25 additional personnel because we need to get really serious about holding people accountable for criminal behavior. And I was really surprised to hear the governor's speech and then to look at his budget and see this, right. this, this, that not only did the state's attorneys and sheriffs not get the funding they requested, but they was actually asking them to cut. Um, that's not acceptable. Right. You have to be honest with Vermonters. We, you know, things. If you want safe communities, mm-hmm. you need to be able to pay for those things. Um, and I think Vermonters would support um, adequately staffing the prosecutors' offices across Vermont in order to, to reduce crime and to hold people accountable. Unfortunately, the governor's budget doesn't line up with what he said in his speech. Huh. Interesting. Well, we all want uh, them to be held accountable. That's for sure. That's one of the big issues that's being discussed everywhere. And and crime is going up here in Vermont uh, because you need to be held accountable, which kind of stops people. They think twice about creating uh, about doing something criminal. Um, oh, that's well. That's that's just one more example of that. I mean, the judiciary, Terry Corsones, is somebody you know right. is the CAO of the judiciary. Yep. She requested ten judicial assistants. Uh, to help um, process the um, backlog that has been growing in cases uh, in the judiciary. Yep. The governor did not fund those positions, uh, and so the, the backlog continues. So you have people who are being arrested by law enforcement officers. They might have 10, 20, you know, citations right. to, be in, to be in court, and they're still on the street because we haven't adequately staffed the judiciary. It takes resources to do that. So... It's nice to say, you know, no new taxes, no new fees, but then the, the governor has to own the consequence of that, right? which is that we have a rising, under, under the Scott administration over the last eight years, crime has gone up, the cost of housing has gone up, the affordability to live in Vermont has gone down, and that's really because he hasn't had the resources to make the significant investments we need. Uh, we don't. We have kids sleeping on air mattresses in the basement of the police. Oh, I just. We don't have the resources to build the infrastructure we need to take care of our children. I think it's a nonpartisan issue. Vermonters oh. support holding criminals accountable. Right. They support taking care of children, and I think that's really that's really as a result of the lack of resources for state government at the moment. Wow, Steve, that's. Quite the presentation you're making here. Um, I'm going to have to get Annie Noonan and Terry on the show uh, to talk about this. Um, I know how you did this is beyond me, but you've taken on the Vermont State uh, University system, uh, representing uh, some of the state college folks. And um, 
that'll keep you busy. They've, we've been watching that transition since, uh, since the beginning. And, um, how involved are you? You must be very involved with the employees and the negotiations that are going on. Yes, we are. And it, this is sort of a triggering conversation, Pat. Once again, <laughs> Sorry. Once, once again, the governor's budget uh, fails to keep the commitment that was made by the governor and by the legislature to fully fund what is called bridge funding. Uh, that was put in as part of a, a negotiated deal with the state colleges to um, provide adequate funding for them to um, to uh, merge the campuses together huh. into one institution of Vermont State University. We are five, we're being shorted $5 million this year wow. uh, from what the administration committed to. It's unacceptable. It's, again, another example of when you have, you say no new taxes, no new fees, there's right. an expense to that. So our middle class families that deserve the right to a higher education are going to pay higher tuition and higher fees at these campuses, yep. um, maybe not be able to go because the governor isn't, isn't adequately funding uh, the, the Vermont state college system. So we're here in the legislature. One of the reasons why I can't leave the state house is because we're trying to get the legislature to, to fix that before they leave in May uh, in order just to keep the promise. But we also think it's time to stop cutting at the state colleges. Um, we have to make um, at least a $10 million investment to allow the, the, new, the new entity to stabilize. Um, we believe we need to cut some of the high-level, wealthy management um, in the state college system. We don't need a chancellor and a president. We can right. do with just a president or a chancellor. But, you know, they're, they're, these are six-figure salaries. Uh, we don't need those. Um, and so our members are really fighting hard. Our members are the folks who staff the libraries, who staff the departments, who clean the campuses. Um, they're the people who are on the front lines closest to the students. We want to cut spending um, further away from the students, the administration of the state colleges wants to cut spending closer to the students, which only um, has a detrimental impact on our ability to attract and retain students. So we, we're going to really work hard to hold the administration of Vermont State University Good. accountable, but we think the governor should keep his promise, and so should the legislature. I'm just curious, you mentioned the, the flood. Uh, you must hear from your employees about the difficulties they're having. I know the AOT garage, they're looking for, um, they're getting sick of being flooded out. And they're trying to move. Um, how bad is it for the, for the state employees you represent? Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's really uh, um, been uh, quite a, a challenge. Um, you know, there's a lot um, that goes into initial response to an incident like the flood. And, you know, one of the things that we see, whether it's COVID or, or Irene or this recent flood, is that um, state employees are invaluable assets uh, to um, the response that state that the state um, comes forward with. I mean, they're not a, they're not at the press conferences that people see on TV, but they're out working, um, you know, making sure that Vermonters are safe and also uh, making sure that state services continue even during a snowstorm or a flood or um, throughout uh, months of a pandemic. So it's, it's sometimes uh, the, the sort of the unsung hero right. of, these, of these situations. Um, and it's one of the reasons why we think uh, they deserve uh, a great deal of respect and admiration, uh, not just from in words, but actually in deeds uh, from politicians. And I oh, I, I couldn't agree more. A lot of them 
are volunteer firefighters. Um, and fortunately, the state allows them, or used to allow them anyway, back in the day, to go and, and fight the fires in their community if they're uh, fairly close. And I, th- I don't think people realize how many are, you know, coaches on on baseball teams and all the other things that uh, that you need volunteers for to keep your community going and most of them are state employees or a lot of them are state employees well we have the state employees who actually are involved in the actual response yeah ah of course but you forget that you know during during the flood uh, we had many um, many uh, state employees who made it through flood waters to get to our correctional facilities, to get to the Vermont Psychiatric Care Hospital, to make sure our veterans are taken care of at the state hot at the, oh. at the uh, veterans home. You know, the 911 dispatchers, right. um, you know, they, they had a, their communities were flooding too. Their homes yep. were flooding as well. And, and they put the service to the state first, put their lives in danger often yep. to make sure they could get to work and serve, serve their, serve their state. So it's, it's really, um, I think it's a really it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, shows what they are made of that their the dedication to the people of Vermont is pretty significant, um, and we need to make sure that we that we adequately support them. Um, you know, these, these folks are they run towards the towards the flood exactly the, the problem uh, when many of us are running the other way. Kudos to all of them. You're you're absolutely correct. Um, they're there doing their job and and willingly doing their job. And uh, they're probably facing some pretty serious stuff right back at home. Um, that's really great. Um, we've been, uh, I know, I don't know where the AOT garage is going to land. It's in Berlin now. And uh, I know right. they're working with our town manager, but uh, we'll see what happens. Cause, and I would think the veterans, that's got to be, they must have been flooded. That's like, hello, here we are. Um, they've got. Yeah, they've, I mean, I think- I think there are some, you know, some areas of the state um, during the most recent flood were more impacted than others. Yep. But, um, but you know, we we had a really, really stellar effort by our members who either stayed at work or who made it through the storm to get to work. Uh, law enforcement members, our dispatchers, you know, because they know how important it is that they be there. Yep. Um, and so they they really um, they really I think met the call uh, during mm-hmm. that as they have. You know, repeatedly, over and over again, uh, every time Vermont faces a significant challenge. That they do. And they've got a good spokesman to remind us, so thank you, Steve, for that. Oh, That's great. What else are you covering up in the State House? I, I was looking quickly yesterday, but not sure anything else that, uh, that you want to talk about that you're following? Well, working hard for the state colleges, we're fighting for DCF. Uh, we are, you know, we're looking at a, a situation in state government, uh, where the vacancy rate um, has been has grown over the last eight years of the Scott administration to a record ninety percent. Huh. We don't have enough. We don't have enough state troopers. Right. We don't have enough nurses. We don't have enough uh, enough dispatchers. We don't have you know go, the, the story goes on and on. And so we really are working hard to try to get the resources into the state um, budget that would alleviate some of that longstanding problem. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the housing crisis in Vermont, and, you know, there are sometimes three-hour waits um, at the Department of Labor or at the, uh, at the Economic Services Division of DC, DCF because there aren't enough staff to handle yep. the, the demand. The politicians need to come to terms with the fact that it takes um, an adequately staffed state government in order to help their constituents. What do you think the answer is? 
Steve, because everybody is dealing with this, is it more incentives, uh, more money, more time off, more? What do you think would, would attract people? I love state government, and may I say thank you for sticking up for the benefits. I don't care who hears this. Um, I'm retired, and our the benefits when you retire are amazing, health care benefits. So thank you for that. Well, you're hard-earned, really. I mean, the, the members of the VSCA going back to 1944 have been fighting for those benefits, right. and we have fought um, more recently to protect them. I think there's a couple things. First of all, we have to stop privatizing state work. We have to stop hiring out-of-state contractors to do the work of state employees. Right. Uh, they can't meet the same level of expertise or the kind of quality of, of knowledge or, um, that, that our state workforce has. So stop spending money on private contracts and instead invest in better wages, better working conditions. We also have to change the culture of state government. Uh, we talked about this at the beginning of the show. We have to have managers who actually value the opinion of state workers, who exactly. encourage them to provide that feedback. And too often we have managers who don't want to hear uh, what the frontline workers have to say and will sometimes retaliate if, if they speak up. So that comes from the top. The governor needs to set the message. Uh, that that's not acceptable, and we need to have more management that really seeks out the, the opinion of state employees. Uh, you know, if you feel valued and heard as a state employee, you're more likely to keep working in that culture. But if 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 you don't, and you know their resources aren't there, and they're just burning you out, um, you know, then we we start to have people leave because at some point their health and their mental health matters more than trying to hold together a crumbling system. Um, so we need greater investment in resources in order to build sustainable systems, and that includes hiring more state workers uh, to meet this incredible demand that we're facing. Great. I, I Well, I love state employees, so there you go. And they do have good ideas. Um, sometimes they're a little out there, but if you keep them talking, they figure it out and get you the right answer. So um, good for yeah. them. So I, I wanted to talk about I on this side page of your website, you've got a column on the right-hand side, and there's some notes and stuff there. And you had a question that said, have you been threatened at work? Steve, what the heck is that about? <laughs> yeah, laughs. Well, yeah, I mean, it's – it's. Um, I, I laugh only because otherwise I would cry. Yeah, right. No, I, I know exactly why you did that. Go ahead. We have – a very serious lack of commitment uh, by the management of state government to the safety and security of our workforce. Uh, currently, um, if you wanted, you know, most of the uh, security in state uh, state government is farmed out to a private contractor. Only the buildings that include the elected politicians or the high-up cabinet members have uh, state employees providing security. We don't have law enforcement in our state office buildings. We should have them there. Um, we, we have a, a real need to, to take the current environment that we live in. I mean, the tragedy that occurred in Kansas City yesterday is just yes. an example of what happened in Maine earlier this fall. Another example, our courthouses uh, seriously lack um, a commitment to the safety and security of not just our members in the courthouse, but the public that are using the state office buildings in the courthouse. You know, we had somebody sleep overnight in the Costello courthouse um, it was discovered by by a member of the BGS, the, the Buildings and General Services staff, at 4 a.m. when she came in to clean. She was there alone. She discovered him sleeping in the building. And the management sent out an email joking about it. 
which did not land well with our members. I can't and imagine. A breach like that could mean one of them doesn't go home to their family. Um, you know, we've had um, we've had incidents where uh, we just recently had a situation where our members in the state's attorney's office in Chittenden County were evacuated because of a credible threat. Uh, management of the judiciary mishandled that situation and left our members for an hour and a half sitting in the courthouse not knowing what's going on. Um, so you know, we really have to rethink how we do uh, security. We've proposed um, an, an expansion of the Capitol Police uh, to all state buildings so that we have consistent training and consistency throughout um, state government and that we have a presence throughout state government. Uh, we've called for a creation of an independent board to oversee security. Um, so we depoliticize this discussion and we focus on the needs of, of the safety and security needs of, of uh, not just our members, but the public that rely on state buildings and courthouses. So, you know, it's going to it's going to require a change in attitude uh, by the political leadership, but also uh, an investment of resources and a professionalizing of the security throughout state government. Well, and it certainly it certainly shouldn't be political because um, it's about state employees and their safety and the public. So that you don't uh, get hired because of your political connections. You get hired because you can do the job. Yeah, and no, just the level of threat has just increased you know, well, dramatically. And everything from the Department for Children and Families to our election workers in the Secretary of State's office you know, if you don't like the way the election went, you call and threaten the workers in the Secretary of State's office. I mean, really? all of this stuff has been the, the, the propensity of violence and to, uh, and to move yep. toward a violent threat has increased in our society. Well, State government hasn't met that um, increased challenge with additional resources. I think everybody's angry. People have gotten so angry. Look, well, you just mentioned yesterday's uh event with the chiefs. I mean, who would think of such a thing? Bruce came up to tell me and I'm like, no, you're kidding. And, you know, he, he wasn't sadly. And, and what is that about? It's just, people are yeah. so angry. It's very, no way to live. That's for sure. Yeah. So listen, on a positive note, on that same right hand side with the note about threatening to work, you've got scholarship applications that you give out. What a great yeah. service. Could you talk about that? Speaking of the colleges? Yeah. So every year our members, um, dedicate a certain portion of their of their dues uh, to provide scholarships to uh, the children of uh, members of the VSEA, and they uh, apply for them. They start applying for them now, and there are a, a group of our members who are, serve on the scholarship committee award those scholarships, and we hand them out um, at our. I believe we do that at our annual meeting, uh, which is uh, in the fall um, every year. So we. We try to support um, our members not just in negotiating their contracts or protecting them in the state house, but also trying to help them with uh, sending their kids to college. Or uh, so we have a we have, for instance, a member support fund. So if somebody has a catastrophe, like uh, their house burns down, uh, you know, we we've provided some additional resources to help them get back on their feet. Um, so our 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 um, our union takes a holistic approach to supporting our membership and supporting the community. You know, we have, uh, for many years now, partnered with the Vermont Food Bank, uh, both at Christmas time and holiday time, but also sponsoring the Vermont Food Bank Day at the Champlain Valley Fair every year, uh, because we understand that not only do our members sometimes have challenges with putting food on the table, so do Vermonters, and our members' uh, membership has voted to dedicate some of their um, their resources to helping fight hunger in Vermont. 
Um, so we're, it's a, it's, we're trying to take a well-rounded approach to building community and supporting our community as well as our members. Steve, I've been th- sitting here thinking the two things I learned when I first started as Commissioner of Personnel, never having worked for state government, was Eat the Pay Act and Vacancy Savings. And that sounds like uh, they haven't talked about Eat the Pay Act, I hope. Uh, well, we hope not. <laughs> we try <laughs> to discourage that. Just uh, for the good. listeners, if um, the Pay Act is the bill that the legislature uh, passes through mostly House GovOps and Senate GovOps to give uh, give state government the the money it needs to honor the um, increases that have been agreed to by the contract. But when a manager is told to eat the Pay Act, you have to find that money. It's forced savings within your budget to be able to pay your employees the 3% or 2.5% or whatever the increase is. And the vacancy savings, which is a trick I never really had to employ. They give you, like, say, $24,000 for a full year to pay a, a, a position. But if you don't fill that position for a couple of months, you've got that extra uh, money in your budget to use for other things, or so they say. But uh, I just was laughing. Every, every time I'm talking, I'm giggling here, like, oh, he brings back memories. Anyway, you have – I've just counted it up. One, two, three – Seven or eight, seven contracts that you negotiate every uh, year or two. Um, I think, the mo- if I may, the most difficult must be corrections because they. I mean, are they still they are they still operating without air conditioning, or have you been able to get that for them? Well, we've gotten some some money dedicated toward it. Good. The, the the total cost of air conditioning all of the correctional facilities. Uh, would be about $19 million. Wow. We've gotten so far a million dollars dedicated toward that. Uh, so we're started. We've started. Uh, but, you know, anytime people um, imagine a really hot summer day in uh. Vermont, then imagine working in a building, a brick building. Yeah. Uh, most of them are concrete or brick, and they those places warm up really fast. Yep. So, and you can't uh, open the windows for obvious reasons. and. Can't open the windows. That's exactly <laughs> right. So it's not really. It's really you know it's sort of it's unfair working um, to ask people to work in those conditions. But really, is it? It's just really not tolerable, even just for those offenders that are there. Well, for sure, it's it's people are in that building regardless of why they're there. They're there in the heat, and we can get hot here in Vermont. Yeah, we can definitely. Definitely. That's really something. But that's that's always corrections is always sort of the. Um, people talk about and they talk, oh, corrections. And it's a difficult job, uh, being the commissioner of corrections. I, I always wanted that job for some bizarre reason. Don't ask me why. But, um, uh, it's a, t- it's a tough job and I'm sure your employees, um, have stories to tell about working there. Well, I do think the, the toughest job in corrections is that of a correctional officer yeah. or, a supervisor or a probation and parole officer. They work very long hours, 12 to 16 hour shifts. Uh, they're in very uh, difficult environments and sometimes dealing with very violent, um, you know, offenders. And so it's it's a, it's a frustrating, um, it'd be a frustrating uh, situation, but they, though, these men and women are dedicated to public safety and, and to helping uh, rehabilitate offenders so that they don't come back to the correction system, but also to hold them accountable. It's really important to hold yep. people accountable. Uh, and our members do it uh, profes- with great professionalism, uh, and there's too few of them. And so they work very long hours and time away from their family. 
uh, you know, we, we, we sometimes um, we don't understand that the life expectancy of a correctional officer is uh, really much lower huh. than the life expectancy of the rest of us. Um, and that's because they're exposed to this traumatic working condition. For sure. I uh, never thought of that. That's really not good. That's terrible. Yeah, it's really, it, people shouldn't die early because of the work they do. Exactly. And, and they're there without much protection because they're not allowed to be, uh, for everybody's safety. It doesn't sound it sometimes, but, um, they don't, you know, they can't carry guns and, and, uh, uh, so they need stuff to protect themselves. So it's, must be very stressful for sure. And then add the I mean, heat to that. Good grief. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also, you know, that it's, these are professionals who are yep. trained to be correctional officers. There's a million people who don't work in the correctional facilities or in the field probation and parole officers right. who like to tell them how to do their jobs and what they should do um, <laughs> in split-second moments when they have to make a very quick decision, yep. a life-and-death decision. You know, there's a lot of critics out there. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, every correctional officer or probation officer is perfect. They, not, they would say they know that that's not true. But there is a lot of uh, the sort of uh, the peanut gallery out there who yep. – I think add to the stressful environment by um, both generalizing about uh, folks who work in correction yeah. and by, you know, in- insisting without any experience whatsoever that they know how to do their job better than they do, uh, which is just not fair. And right. not, that's not right. Well, Ed, there's an expression. What is it? Walk a mile in my shoes. Um, exactly. That would that would do it. Uh, but I I really this is an honest statement. I cannot imagine. Dealing with all the contracts you deal with, um, with the staff you have. How do you do that? And I'm very serious about this. I mean, you gotta, you've gotta know the ins and outs of the people that you're representing. Um, and you know, there are just obvious budgetary constraints and you've gotta do the best you can with, with what's available. How do you do that, Steve Howard? Well, we have fantastic staff. We have the best union staff probably in the, definitely in the state, maybe the country. Cool. So we're, we're very grateful to have them. But we also have, um, you know, very dedicated bargaining teams made up of members uh, in right. the VSEA. They are the ones that make all the decisions around bargaining. Um, and they dedicate a significant amount of their time uh, to working out an agreement with, uh, with the management. So it's not just the staff; it's also the members who dedicate their time to, to the cause, and um, you know it's an important one. Um, so, it's it, that's really how it how it's done. Is many hands make light work. So that's that's been that's the great. key to our success. Good for you. Well, we have to go in a few seconds here, Steve, and I want to thank you. Kudos to you, to your staff, and to state employees for everything you do for us, and thank you for. Um, representing such a hardworking, dedicated group of folks. So I appreciate it. Steve Howard, Executive Director for the Vermont State Employees Association. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. And Steve, let me know. I owe you lunch. See you. Looking forward to it. Cool. See you. Bye.